0: Hello,
1: and welcome to this week's Tech Exchange, where we are taking a look at all things technology related, and this show is all about drones. I'm Jane Johnson, and I'm joined by our show regulars, Corey Moss, Krista Bender, and Johnny Moda, and this time, our guest is Christina Ng, and she's from UA Solutions. But first, we're going to have a word about our sponsor. Krista, take it away.
0: I want to say thank you to our sponsor, which is Ingram Micro. If you visit their website, ingramicro.com, you can learn how they can help you with your AV and IT needs. That's ingramicro.com.
1: Very good. Thank you. And now it's time for our weekly roundup. Johnny, you've got a little CDA preview for us.
2: Yeah, so uh, CDA coming up, Custom Electronic Design and Installation Association. Sonos has has been, I think, a large emerging market, if you will, but only in the last few years. When it first came out, it's a great product. I'm not going to knock them in any way. There has been more and more need, and Leon Speakers makes one called Tone Case. There is another one that you can recess your speakers in the ceiling. You can. There's another one that is basically putting a soundbar inside of a soundbar to make it the custom width of your TVs. And another one to recess a Play 1 into your wall for power. Basically, all solutions to hide the general box, if you will. Not necessarily making a prettier box, it's just more of a custom solution box. This is an article I saw on CE Pro. And if you head over to cupro.com, you can see these five custom options. Like I mentioned, they uh, come from Thanos Tone Case, which is Leon under their Media Decor line, Next Level Acoustics Elite Playbar Solution, and Flexin, who makes a bunch of Sonos accessories, and they also make a turntable, which is basically rebranded as uh, their own. Uh, last one is uh, Custom Installer in the vanco line for recessing a speaker in your ceiling it's pretty neat still sonos at the end of the day again which is not bad but it's um catering more to the custom solution and to give your clients sonos in a a better prettier solution so johnny
1: is this intended more for homeowners to do it themselves and create their own custom solutions or is this something for a guy like you who does a lot of residential installs? To
2: work so with? none of these solutions to my knowledge can be purchased by the homeowner direct. While Sonos you can buy online, which is why most people do it because you can buy direct. Um, the solutions I'm talking about are purchased through distribution or direct to dealer. Like I said, through Leon's media decor line, you have to be a local dealer of these products. Um, or Flexin or something else. It's not something that you can go buy down at Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever.
1: All right. So now we're going to move on to Krista who has some interesting merger acquisition news.
0: Yeah, I was really excited uh, to see this week that uh, Pandora, one of the um, big streaming uh, music streaming companies has decided to acquire Ticketfly for um, 450 million dollars, um, which is kind of cool because I know that um, I go to a lot of um, events, and more and more I've been having to use Ticketfly instead of Ticketmaster or some other um, avenues to get my tickets. And it's kind of cool that Pandora is um, choosing to team up with them because it's giving—it's going to give listeners who are using Pandora the chance to. Um, have the opportunity to buy tickets right from the app for, um, you know, an artist that they were just listening to. Um, so that's kind of cool because, you know, unless you're constantly scouring the, uh, you know, your favorite artists or the internet or something to figure out when somebody's coming to town to play, you know, that's going to be a really easy way to find out when somebody's going to be near you. Um, I think it's kind of smart for Pandora too, because, um, It's hard, I would imagine, with streaming, being a streaming company, it's kind of hard to make money because of all the royalties they have to pay to the artists to stream their music. So by adding this option to their services, I would imagine it's a way for them to bring in more money that would be more lucrative than actually offering the music for people to listen to. So that's what I have.
1: So when is the app going to be available to download and set up?
0: Um that is a good question. I know that they were talking about it at um You know what, I don't know. I know that it's soon because they just mentioned the acquisition, but I'm not sure that um
1: It's gonna go on the list though of things to go. Yeah, look for. it's
0: going on the list. Like I know they said that Pandora recently sold like fifty five thousand tickets for a Rolling Stones concert in twenty four hours. So I guess it's something that they're starting to do. So um, I'm not sure if it's active everywhere yet, but um, because quite honestly, I don't use Pandora, so I I really Mm. probably should go back and look. But um, I I know that it's going to be built, the interface is going to be built right into their app. So um, it may be available now. And I know that some of the other streaming companies like Spotify, they're talking about maybe partnering with a ticketing service, and they were kicking around the idea of um, integrating Songkick into their application, but I don't believe that has happened yet. So um, it's pretty cool, I think, because, you know, if you like to go see live shows, this is a great way to find out um, when some of your favorite bands are coming around.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, I am a Pandora user, uh, and uh, it, I, I really do like the Pandora Music Service, and I think uh, anything like this that they do is, uh, is good. Uh, I do have one problem with this article, though, uh, Krista. Um, it's that Brian McAndrews, the chief executive officer at Pandora says, this is a game changer for Pandora and much more importantly, a game changer for music. So, uh, you know, he's, he's using that outlawed term. It looks like, you know, this is game changing. So, uh, Krista, do, do you agree? This is game changing?
0: Um, well, Yeah. I guess so. In a way it is. I mean, it's a way to keep them relative because, you know, other applications do this already or are starting to think about offering this service. Um, and like I said, I mean, unless you're how, – how, unless you use other apps to find um, when concerts are coming to town, how else is a better way to do that than, hey, I'm listening to The Stones right now and, oh, crap, I haven't seen Mick Jagger in like a year because he keeps retiring, so let me go see him again.
3: <laughs> um, no, that that's true. I think, uh, absolutely. I think this, I mean, uh, the term itself I don't like ever using, but I think it truly is something that uh, can change the game, uh, I guess, in, in terms of uh, these types of services. So uh, I agree, absolutely.
1: Um, well, I wonder if for, for smaller, less known groups that it might be really helpful too, because they can get their music out there on Pandora and they happen to be playing a very small venue you can connect the two and, and go see someone that you wouldn't even know was coming to town.
0: Yeah. I think that might be it too. Cause there is some applications I run that, um, that tell me that. And every now and then I'll see a band that I'm like, how does anybody know this band? It'll appear in my feed that they are coming to some like local little, somebody's basement to play. Um, so yeah, that would be great. Cause then more people would find out that they're going to be playing in my basement next weekend.
1: It changed the game <laughs> for them.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one more thing, you know, this did, uh, it looks like, um, uh, the chief strategy officer, Tim Westergren, uh, was at Disrupt SF 2015 down in uh, Johnny's neck of the woods, um, or TechCrunch's Disrupt SF 2015, um, talking about the service. And, uh, you know, if it's uh, discussed at Disrupt, uh, it's pretty much front page news there as well. So, uh, no, this, uh, this looks very big. It really does. I love the
2: idea that Pandora is acquired Ticketfly. fly. The ability to purchase ticks through the app is great. I really hope that that ports over to streaming or distributed audio services so that, let's say, it's not just an app based thing, but maybe it's on your control system. Um, you know, at home, the kids listen to music. I love that song. Um, I, I also really hope that they start to or- incorporate like an indie tab or something like that for bands that you've never heard of. Other services, like Krista sort of mentioned, are doing that. Um, if you don't know, I love Tidal. I'm a huge fan of that. I just love higher quality audio. Not that uh, I don't listen to Pandora, Spotify, or other services, because I think it's great. At the end of the day, people are going to listen to whatever makes them feel good or they enjoy it, regardless of quality. Wherever you can get music, I, I feel, is great, as long as you're paying for it, of course, right? It's no longer the 90s. Um, I honestly feel that whatever, whatever music makes that person feel good and 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 joyful is you know that's great it it doesn't have to be higher quality i'm not going to promote that you know higher quality or bust i just that's how i feel but i listen to lower res quality music just because i get whatever is available right maybe i can't get certain songs um old old music in certain places but another um what i was saying with titles that they do have like a like an indie tab you know up and coming artists people that i may have never heard of it so-and-so's basement. They have their own little tab that they're promoted. They're heavily promoted. And they also have streaming live shows that uh, I couldn't afford to get to, or it's on the other part of the world I just don't live in. I get to watch that, because I pay for that service, and that's provided to me. Also, I can buy tickets to shows in that area through that service. But the ability to get that from Pandora and Ticketfly, I think, is genius. I think that's great, and I really hope that that kind of extends to the, the custom solution market so that um, homeowners or solutions deployed have that ability, whether it's an office building or in a home. I think that's great.
1: Cool. All right. Looks like it's getting thumbs up from uh, from everyone around here. So let's move on to Corey. Corey's got a really interesting look at, at a city in a desert.
3: You know, uh, I believe I might've gone a little off the grid with this one. Um, so, uh, (laughs) I think Krista knows the original article that I was going to reference, but it had to do with that, uh, thing, uh, we all know and love called Bitcoin. So, uh, Krista said, no, pick the other one. So what this is, is CITE, C-I-T-E, the $1 billion city that nobody calls home. Um, and basically, uh, in the arid plains of the Southern New Mexico desert, Uh, Between the site of the first atomic bomb test and the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, they say a new city is rising from the sand. Um, It's planned for a population of 35,000, and the city will showcase a modern business district downtown, uh, terraced housing in the suburbs, uh, supplied with uh, pristine, as they say, streets, parks, malls, and a church. But no one will ever call it home um site is the center of innovate for innovation testing and evaluation uh, projects a project a full scale model of an ordinary american town uh but they're referring to it as a petri dish to develop, to develop new technologies that will shape the future of the urban environment um it goes on uh to say it will include specialized zones for developing new forms of agriculture energy and water treatment uh, underground data collection network will provide detailed real-time feedback. So you're, there's going to be uh, real-time feedback through underground data collection. Um, and, uh, you know, it just, it goes on to uh, discuss this. And there's a quote, says the U.S. spends billions of dollars on research and gets 2 to 3% return in commercial products. And uh, the general who said this says, this facility could extend and increase the return. So I think that statement in itself is, uh, is very important here. And, uh, and again, it goes on to uh, talk about the project and uh, the background to it. Um, there's a comment here, technologies need people. And, uh, you know, but I found this extremely interesting. And again, a little bit off the grid uh, in terms of tech topics, uh, to discuss, um, you know, basically a city being built, uh, as they're calling it, like a, like a Petri dish. Um, so in the New Mexico der- desert and the picture here, and of course this will be posted for people to see, uh, you see there is literally nothing around where the city is being built. So, uh, yeah, that's my, uh, that's my thing.
1: I am curious how they get meaningful data. If they're going to collect all this data, if they don't have actual humans living there, how do they, and I do understand that you can't give humans nice things because we will ruin them. But if you don't have people there, how do you know that these technologies are actually working? How do you test it? Yeah, I
0: agree. Like if you don't have a human just jaywalking across the street, how does that automated car know to actually apply the brakes in time?
3: You know, it's interesting here, uh, and, and again, I'll read something else. The vision is an environment where new products, services, and technologies can be demonstrated and tested without disrupting everyday life. And it says, without a human population to worry about, the possibilities are endless. So now what they're, what they're saying is, well, there's not a human population to be concerned with. So we can do the proper testing and collect the proper data. But I think you're right in a sense. It's like, does that sound like kind of a conflict? When you're, when you're looking to build, you know, such um, environments, I guess, without people there, uh, you know, as a result of the testing. And I will say here, uh, with Christina Eng uh, on the podcast, driverless vehicles could be used on responsive roads monitored from above by traffic drones. So, uh, it looks like... Um, you know, drones could be a, uh, well, I would think drones would absolutely be a part of this as well.
2: Oh yeah, so. man. Drone city, California or United States, depending where it is. It's the <laughs> desert. Correct. That's right. It's a desert, New Mexico. Yeah. I think that, uh, to reference star Wars, it's going to be populated by Jawas and they aren't necessarily <laughs> people. So that would be <laughs> a way to not have people living there. Right. Uh, heavily on the drones and driverless car aspect. I've, how do you how do you maintain that, right? How do you grow like Christina said, grow food for people that aren't there? Well how do you how do you test these things? How do how does that even
3: happen? Put a think, city in the desert for nobody? I think we'll let Miss Eng to uh, take this one.
4: Well, I think it's funny that we already have six unmanned aircraft test sites, and one of them isn't populated at all. Well, actually, two. One's in Alaska, and the other's in North Dakota. I mean, really, who's living there, right? So, so why don't you use places that are already low populated that haven't that you know you don't have to wear a Geiger counter with you as you walk around the streets, right? Um, and then the economic boom. why don't you bring the economy to a city that actually needs it, to these small towns in, in Middle America that have lost their factory workers and have lost um, so much industry recently, um, especially since they are being taken over by artificial intelligence. And we talk about how unmanned aircraft and driverless cars and, um, are taking away certain jobs. Uh, Mr. Fry with the Da Vinci Institute has a great... Um, article about that. Um, So why would we go to a city where it's not going to drive industry? I get there aren't any people there, but have you driven through Wyoming lately?
3: (laughs) Yeah, we think you know all about Wyoming. Um, But you know, it's interesting because if you think about New Mexico, New Mexico has been test site to so many different things, right? And it looks like, okay, listen, I don't think every experiment is the right one, okay, but everybody, but somebody comes up with a concept and they say, okay, where do we do this? Well, they either do it in New Mexico or Arizona, or I guess maybe Wyoming, right, Christina? You know, places that are not densely populated. So, and again, if you look at this picture, um, there is nothing, nowhere for the eye to see uh, of of anything around it, um, you know, uh, it's it's very interesting. It really is.
1: Are they it sounds planning like it's getting
3: to get really the road warrior. Are, <laughs>
1: are they planning on really connecting these buildings? I mean, bringing in the Internet of Things and making these all smart buildings and testing that aspect of it.
3: Mm, you know what? I actually am looking here and I'm not sure I saw the Internet. of this may be the only article I've seen in the last uh, you know two weeks that didn't say Internet of Things. If it doesn't. Um, I can't imagine that's something that's not a consideration as well. But, you know, they do talk about robotics. They talk about, you you know, Jane, I think it's really something where they're trying to do something without people being uh, involved, okay? Because as with any environment, once people are in there, um, you know, I think that... Well, I think they're actually trying to, you know... Put together some kind of uh, what am I trying to say? Like a IoT know, like, city. Well, in a true test lab, let's say a, a true outer test lab. Um, you know, uh, the you biodome. Know. Bio-lab? <laughs> hey, listen, that's a that's a possible comparison, I guess, mm-hmm. but. You know, they talk about future of cities here and, uh, you know, other such things. So, I think they're really just trying to do something where people aren't in the way, per se, of, uh, you know, of all of this that they want to do. So, it's, uh, no, I think it's, these are all good questions. They really are.
1: Well, it's interesting. And I think if they ever run out of funding, they could always, you know, pitch it to a as a reality television show and get people to volunteer to go live there.
3: Wait a minute. I think you've come up with exactly what they're trying to do here, Jane. (laughs) Wait, isn't that what they're doing with Mars? Basically. (laughs) You mean after, uh, after Elon Musk colonizes it or nukes it, (laughs) colonize.
4: (laughs) (laughs) The other option is to use it for the film industry. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like those old Western towns and stuff that they have out there where you can go and film.
2: Yeah. That or they're just trying to make another Burning Man location.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Could be. Could very well be.
1: Right. Well, very interesting stuff. So, Okay. Well, let's move on to our, our main event. We are very excited to have Christina Ng here today, and she is the COO of the UA Solutions Group, and a former Black Hawk helicopter pilot, so certainly someone who knows aviation and the industry very well. She is has been listed as one of the most accomplished women in, in unmanned systems by the women of drones industry, and we're going to add another first for her. She's our first female guest on Tech Exchange. So welcome, Christina. We're very excited to have you here.
4: So, thank you. I'd like to thank everybody here at Tech Exchange for (laughs) having me to your show. I realize it's kind of like the 10th hour of the Today Show's Wine Day Wednesday meets CES, but without the makeover. So, this is definitely right up my alley. (laughs) So, thank you, everybody, for having me, and I hope to be on again.
1: Oh, good. Well, I guess you might reassess in a few minutes. (laughs) Uh, So, I wanted to start with first your background because you're an aviator who has now moved into unmanned aviation how How did that happen? How did you get interested in drones
4: so uh, so as a as a helicopter pilot, you know we fly in the same airspace as unmanned aircraft, especially on the military side of the house because we've been integrated in Iraq and Afghanistan for so, for so long and we're not talking about the unmanned aircraft flying at Class A airspace, uh, like the Predators and the Reapers we 're talking these small guys r q seven Bravo shadows, Pumas ravens and um, when I got uh, when I came home from Iraq, and I also did an operation Jump Start down on the southern border for a little while, I had the opportunity to join the Florida National Guard. And um, one day I thought, oh, I want to go and see what these unmanned aircraft what the unmanned aircraft platoon is doing. And when I got out there, um, please no offense to the to the army, but they kind of didn't know what they were doing. I asked them if they had filed their notams; they didn't even know what a notam was. I asked them to see their VFR sectional chart; they didn't know what a VFR sectional chart was. They basically had no air air sense they had no airmanship they were just kind of um, junior enlisted personnel trying to do the best that they could with what they had and what they were missing was a hundred years of aviation background and mentorship when I got into the cockpit of a Blackhawk while I was in Iraq I was fortunate I flew with, with uh, there were three gentlemen in our uh, unit that were Vietnam veteran pilots so so, what I learned from the Vietnam veteran pilots was, you know, 40 years of aviation experience, and unfortunately, in the Army, because they had tucked the unmanned aircraft uh, units under the intel branch instead of the aviation branch, they didn't think of them as aircraft. They thought of them as intel assets. And um, I was fortunate to, uh, I attended an unmanned aircraft conference And lo and behold, there were a lot of Black Hawk pilots that I had gone to flight school with. And I just said, what are you guys doing here? And they said, these guys need a lot of help. So it was at that point I realized that I needed to join the unmanned aircraft platoon and start mentoring these men and women because they were flying in the same airspace as my my guys. So they really needed a lot of help. And we needed to push to have them fall under aviation and for people to realize that unmanned aircraft really are aircraft. That's so vital to this, um, uh, to what we're trying, to the story that we're trying to tell is that they're aircraft. I don't care if you're flying at 50 feet or 10,000 feet, you're an aircraft. It doesn't matter if you're 800 pounds or five pounds, you're an aircraft. And that's fundamental to the argument that we're trying to make here. Right. So, so I did that, go ahead.
1: So, so then from your perspective, then they should fall into the same rules and restrictions and regulations as a manned aircraft.
4: Yes, I do believe that. I think that to a, to a certain extent, though, I think that they're, um, you know, just the same as an ultralight aircraft doesn't fall under the same rules and regulations as a 747. There are some fundamental building blocks that we all have to fall under. And I think that unmanned aircraft have to fall under those same building blocks. And some of them, um, one of the big ones is you have to understand airspace. You have to understand the rules and the regulations, and you have to play by the rules. Okay. And that's what
1: how you started getting involved with the, the National Guard, then is bringing that level of expertise.
4: Correct. And, the, and, you know, to be honest, I was just a junior aviator. I wasn't even a senior aviator. So then what I was able to do was pull in some senior aviators and start working on getting them to mentor these these junior unmanned aircraft uh, pilots.
1: So how did you start UA Solutions? It sounds like that is just a very natural progression of where you were going with bringing this expertise to people that were involved with drones.
4: Yes, so uh, I was fortunate to deploy to Afghanistan as an unmanned aircraft brigade advisor, and that experience when I came back to the United States uh, allowed me to get hired on at the FAA as a contractor, so I worked at the FAA for a couple for almost three years as a contractor and realized uh, that I could do more good on the outside than I could on the inside. There really hadn't been anybody from inside the FAA to really start a consulting firm from the unmanned aircraft side, who really had unmanned aircraft background. There were a lot of manned aviators and a lot of lawyers who had gone out and started unmanned aircraft consulting businesses. But it's ironic. It's an unmanned aircraft consulting business, not a legal firm and not a manned aviation business. And there are fundamental differences between the two. And I realized that there needed to be a bridge between industry and the FAA, and that's where UA Solutions Group was started. What kind
1: of commercial applications or uses for drones do you work with the most, and and what are you most excited about?
2: What
4: do I work with the most? It is all over the board. So the the original thought was that 85% of unmanned aircraft would be used in the agriculture side of the house. So everybody went after agriculture, but unfortunately those, um, Those statistics came from Japan, from the Japanese model and Japanese agriculture is very different from the United States. So everybody at first just really went hog wild after the agriculture side of the house. And we're learning that that's not necessarily where it's going to be. Uh, So, uh, so some of the companies that we're working with, we're working with, um, motion picture. A lot of guys who are filming, um, close, doing close set movie filming. Uh, we do have agriculture. We're working with, um, bridge inspection, serving companies. The, the thing about unmanned aircraft right now is there are very few industries that unmanned aircraft is not affecting and that it's not touching. And, um, like I said, Mr. Fry, he put out, um, 197 uses for unmanned aircraft. It touches, it touches every, every aspect. Um, what am I most excited about? Uh, that's a hard one. That's really a hard one. I think I'm most excited about driverless cars. Driverless <laughs> <You know, I, laughs> <I'm really, laughs> so cars. Think, I think, wow. I think that's really what I'm most
0: excited
4: <laughs> about versus drones. No, I'm not I,
3: getting in one, uh, Christine. I've already uh, said I'm not getting in a driverless uh, car.
4: <laughs> I'm not in getting in a in a driverless aircraft either.
3: Um, <laughs> for sure.
4: Yeah. No. I think just, I think the thing that excites me most is where that what we haven't seen. The technology in unmanned aircraft that we haven't seen. We've seen so much. And I'm waiting for that one company that comes out with that one amazing thing that we all go, oh my gosh, how did I, how did I not think of this? This is really the disruptive technology that we've waited for versus just a catalyst.
3: Yeah. Hey, hey, Christina, uh, I figured let me uh, chime in here to talk about how you and I uh, first talked and where we met. Uh, it was at the Stampede Big Book of AV tour out here in Virginia, um, where uh, where and I, Christina and I met. And actually, you know, I went there uh, to cover a few things for Rave, and of course to see drones, which Stampede is, of course, all about these days. Uh, you know, as well as AV distribution. Um, so anyway, what happened was I was speaking to some of the Stampede people. And they said, "Well, you have to see Christina Eng's presentation." Uh, so actually that was the first presentation of the day that I saw, uh, was Christina's, which took place at about 1115. Yes, that's right. Um, so, and just to go over it a little, uh, presentation covered current legal constraints to commercial operations and the services available through Stampede. Um, and, uh, I sat through it and it was actually, it was an excellent, um, presentation, Uh, learning more about the other side of drones because I think in the AV industry we hear about drones and what we can do with drones with uh, GoPros and all of that but you know when you look at the FAA side of it and all of that uh, that's pretty much what Christina was talking about as well as other things in terms of you know how she consults and talking about her, um, you know, her flight experience and all. So it's something I did not expect whatsoever uh, coming into the the tour. Christina and I spent a good part of the day together. Christina had been asking me about AV and AV integration and all, because I'm guessing, Christina, you're very, very interested in that side of things working with Stampede as well.
4: Well, I'm a virgin in that area. So I'm glad that we have the 50 shades of gray, gray guy going on here. <laughs> so, um, You know, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't understand AV. I'm lucky I can, you know, I'm lucky I have a husband who can defrag my computer. To be honest, I can fly a, a multimillion dollar helicopter, but I can barely download an app.
3: <laughs>
2: Do you, does that excite you though? That it, it's so new to you and it's something new, not that, not being in the new you know it's more and more and knowing so much about aviation and such an unmanned drones
4: yeah it's so exciting, so but. one thing one thing that i tell everybody whenever um whenever i give a speech is i get bored really quickly right i want to do something new constantly like once i figured out how to fly i wanted to be a piloting command and then once i became a piloting command i was like okay i'm done with this did it done next right um so So when people look at my background and what I've done, I go kind of from from one thing to the next thing to the next. I get really bored easily. And unmanned aircraft has really challenged me in that area because the technology advances so quickly. And I can't keep up with what's going on. By the time you figure out payloads, aircraft, operating systems, uses, regulations, it keeps you on your toes. It's hard to keep up with it. And so I really do like that. It keeps somebody who's whose mind um, is all over the place and it, it allows us to play, to play within those boundaries.
3: And then, you know, it's interesting, Christina, because while you say you want to learn more about that, the AV industry certainly wants to more, uh, learn more about what can be done with drones. And Krista, as a matter of fact, Krista has sold drones to, to clients. So um, she has experience with this. Right yeah.
0: Now. Yeah. I tend to, right now, some of the clients I've sold to tend to be on the, um, educational side, and what they're trying to do is use the drones to, um, well, it's been a couple of things, mostly for sports applications for when the the Friday night football game's going on, or the baseball game, or um, the one gentleman wanted to use it for graduation. And, um, it was funny because, you know, they've, they've been pretty successful, but the early on the one, the one gentleman, he sent us the video and he's like, this doesn't look right. And we're looking at the video and we're joking. We're like, yeah, it looks like it's shot from the moon. You don't have to be 300 feet up in the air. Like, you know, you only have to be up so high. And, you know, I'm, I'm certain that these schools, um, either aren't aware or choosing to ignore FAA regulations, probably. I mean, I shouldn't say that they're choosing to ignore, they may not be aware that, You know, they have to fly within certain amount of airspace and not, you know, exceed that or there could be problems. But it's been really cool, uh, the applications I've used the drones in because, um, you know, it's really neat to see that what people are, are wanting to use it for and how it's being applied.
4: Yeah. So shameless plug, UA Solutions Group solves your problems on how to operate an unmanned aircraft or a shameless
3: plug in away, please. Space,
4: <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing you said, and it just really got me, it, unfortunately, the first place that my mind goes to is the regulations. And when you said a high school's using it for sports applications for graduation, the first thing I thought was, yep, that's illegal. And, and we know, or hopefully people know that SkyPan just received a $1.9 million dollar fine. And the FAA is not joking about this anymore. They're they're taking it very serious. We thought for the last couple of years, we just kept saying, is the FAA going to really, you know, go, go and fine these people? F-I-N-E, well, F-I-N-D and F-I-N-E. And they did, $1.9 million. And I think that a lot of these... Uh, high schools and other organizations are going to take notice really quick and that's where our company bridges that gap and we let them know how do you use it how do you not use it and and what are your applications
3: so stampede obviously sells drones the dji's uh especially and we did talk about another company as a matter of fact eric and i we're talking about another company as well that he, that he likes a lot, Eric Jacobson at Stampede. Um, and, you know, as Krista said, selling to a customer and all that. But you are very closely partnered with them in talking about F- FAA regulations and all. And then if an integrator is selling drones to a customer, what are they supposed to tell that customer when they're selling the drones to them? Or should they be?
4: Yeah so the so what with, the way that we've teamed with Stampede is when the when the distributor talks to the dealer and the dealer talks to the end user what we're trying to make sure is that they're bridging that gap and they're telling the end user hey by the way you these are the packages or the SKUs that we have um through UA Solutions Group in order for you to become legal. So it has turned into, um, you know, just another TV. It's just that it's not physical. So we tell our dealers, you sell us just the same way you sell a TV. And that's, that's the conversation that they're supposed to have is what, what do you want to use it for? And you need to reach out to UA Solutions Group simply because we're going to talk to you and we're going to figure out what your use is. And we're going to tell you what you can and cannot do with that and how to make that happen.
3: So there's what kind of bridges the gap, I guess, with the UA Solutions Group in terms of, you know, let's say the big project that's going to involve drones for an AV integrator, okay, it's probably a good idea to call in a UA Solutions Group, right, to discuss uh, all of what has to do with that, with regulations and proper usage, because let's say it's it's a very large cost project, that's probably not a bad idea, right?
4: Yeah, and unfortunately I'm sitting here, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so boring. <laughs> like I wish I had like a great unmanned aircraft video flying through fireworks to show people. <laughs> I hate talking about regulations because it is so bore. it is so boring. So hopefully as we as we walk you through these processes, we, we try not to be boring. But mm-hmm. it's really hard.
3: Yeah. Well, I think it's a necessary uh, situation for this. And I tell you what, when you talk about fines and all, uh, we'll talk in a little while about somebody who got a whopping fine uh, for uh, breaking FAA regulations for a two year period. Um, But you know what I wanted to talk about? And it's something that Jane and Chris are heavily involved in, in the AV industry. And that's women of drones, Okay, they are women uh, involved in women in a uh, in a infocom network uh, for the women of the industry, and uh, so I looked at an article uh, from back in June, Christina, and it's Women of Drones: The Most Accomplished Women in Unmanned Systems, and of course you are mentioned in this uh, article. But I, I found a, a, a something that was very interesting, and I'm sure. The women here will might you know like this. There aren't many places in the world where you'll see ridiculously long line for the men's restroom and none for the ladies, unless you're at a technology conference. It's a stereotype that has been overworked and oh, and exhausted, but in the burgeoning industry of drones, it's no different. Um, so, you know, the uh, only
0: other place that that um, occurs is at beer festivals. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Krista <laughs> can tell us about that, sure. Um, but that's that's the opening statement to this. So, uh, you know, I mean, you, of course, are mentioned in this along with other women. And I have to say there's one woman here that I'm seeing, Lisa Elman, who's the co-chair of McKenna Long and Aldridge's Unmanned Aircraft Systems Practice Group. Uh, and, uh, you know, they talk a lot about her. But, you know, we, de- we basically uh, go down and we get to um, you, okay? So, uh, I will go right to you at that point. And here's a statement you made. One of the reasons we started the company was that I think there is the need for society to have rules that are more palatable, easier to understand, um, and uh, then you made another comment. I was like, hey, I think we can provide the bridge between the industry and the FAA. So uh, that's, uh, you know, that's the statement that came from this article. So we have Women of Infocom Network, and you are a part of Women of Drones. So tell us about that.
4: So, um, ironically they just had at inner drone, I think it was inner drone. They had a a women's luncheon and I'm kind of torn I'm I'm back and forth when we, when we talk about women of, or, you know, women of, you know, women of Infocom and women of drones and, and women, this and women that, and it, and I hate to liken it to, you know, Uh, you know, other groups, right? Usually more ethical groups, ethnic groups, where the more that we talk about it and the more that we isolate it and segregate it, I think the more that we focus on it and the more that it's a a negative. And um, I don't know how to explain that, but I think it should be people of drones and people of unmanned aircraft. But then I talked to DJI recently and they said that only 9% of their cells are to women. And considering that we make up fifty one to fifty two percent of the population, that those numbers are are odd, except when you go into aviation and you look that that's right on. There are only about seven to nine percent of women have their pilot's license, right? So or seven to of all the people who have pilots licenses, only seven to nine percent have pilot's license. And I don't know if it's because girls and women, girl, little girls growing up, I don't know if it's because it's not something that we're interested in. I don't know if our brains are hard hardwired this way, um, or if it's because we lack mentorship. And I think that a lot of it has to do with mentorship. I look at who mentored me growing up. My mom was an engineer for Union Pacific. She drove trains at, out there in Wyoming. And my uncle was a Tomcat pilot. <clears throat> So I had these great mentors that always told me I can do anything I wanted to, even though I was a woman. That was never, um, that was never on the table. The fact that I was a girl. And I think that without those of us, just like um, you know, like you know, like Krista and all of us, if we get out there and start mentoring, I think that we can drive those numbers up to where it's more maybe 30 women standing in the line and 70 men standing in the other line. You know, we can drive those numbers up. But I really think that it has to do with mentorship.
0: Yeah, I agree because um, growing up for me, I don't know that I I – had a lot of strong female mentors. It was mostly men doing the stuff that I enjoyed and liked doing. Like, you know, I really like cars. That's guy thing. You know, I really like sports. That was usually a guy thing. We didn't have girls soccer, so I couldn't play soccer. Um, You know, or if I did, I would ride the bench and I don't ride the bench for anything. So I chose not to play the sport, but, um, so, but it was cool because my parents still said like I could do whatever I want and encouraged me to do things, and so that's why I think I am the person I am. But I think the the girls that are in school now they have these things much more readily available. STEM um, learning for for girls is much more prevalent in. Um, education now than it was when I was in school 20 or 30 years ago um, which is really cool and I think mentorship is huge I think it is stepping outside the box for ladies I think a lot of times women think they don't have something to say that people want to hear and I think they'd be surprised that they do.
1: I think another challenge is women not being comfortable asking for help or asking for someone to to mentor them and that's where some of these organizations like the Women of Infocom Network are important because they make it easier to get that kind of access because there are men and women who are part of that group.
4: Do you think that anything has to do with women being so catty? And when we first meet each other, we're kind of on the defensive. And then yes. we're kind of, I do, Right. okay, so that's great. Like, for, unlike men, women, when they say, oh, you're going to be there with other women, you're like, ah, oh, they're going to be all like catty. I, I, I feel that every oh single God. time. I
0: I feel the worst. Probably everybody listening to this now is probably like, "Christy, you're a jerk. But when I'm in a women atmosphere, I don't like it because they're going to talk about kids. I don't have kids. They're going to talk about being married and stuff. They're going to talk about, like, Avon. They're going to talk
4: about, like, you know. That's so stereotypical, though. Women stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get the women stuff. Like, I get that. I like to, you know, I cry once a month. Like, I get that, right? But, you know, I don't want to talk ad nauseum about your kids. I, yeah. I, I'm just not into yeah,
0: that. Yeah, and I think a lot of the topics that I just tend to like in general, I tend tend to, to be more with guys. You know, like I, I like really nerdy stuff like comics and, you know, Doctor Who and you know, cars and sports. And, you know, growing up, I, I have a lot of female friends, but a lot of them tended to not like that kind of stuff. So it just became natural for me to be more comfortable in a more male dominated environment than with ladies because they're always talking about baking. I don't like to bake. So I don't care about your carrot cake.
3: If you <laughs> yeah. talk to Chris <laughs> about, you know, what beer to pick, uh, you know, yeah, I Sunday could talk, beer, that's what I she'll talk, beer. talk about. I
0: could talk cigars, I could talk that kind of stuff.
4: But I think that we need to mentor this younger generation of, of young girls coming up and try to make it where that's not the norm anymore, where we say, hey, um, you need to have this strong female network. When I was on, in Iraq, um, I was the only female line pilot. And and in my company, I had no other female. I didn't even have a female crew chief. And, and um, they had a unit from Oklahoma was joining us and I heard this rumor that they had a female crew chief. And usually I would say, ah I don't want any women with me, but I went up and I, I realized early on, um, I went to my company commander and I begged him. I said, I don't care who she is, I don't care I don't care anything about her, you have to put her in this company because I'm not gonna be able to survive a year without another female. Like I understand that, yeah, we are catty, but at the end of the day, we need that person who understands when you shut the door and you cry. Um they understand that, and I think that we need to make sure that that we show these this, these younger females and these younger girls that it's okay and that you do need you really do need a female support network sometimes. we offer something different
1: i I think it would be interesting if infocom like the women of, of infocom network included like high school age girls I know they do some work with the college, but I know here locally we have a, a really strong women of technology group and I'm in Salt Lake City and Every year they have their big event and they will bring in busloads of high school age girls to let them hear the keynote speakers and meet some of these outstanding women in technology. And it's very inspirational. And I think things like that can help a lot. And I think Infocom, the Women of Infocom group, maybe that's something to put on the docket for next year.
3: You know,
0: I actually, I I
1: just.
0: Yeah, yeah I, just, I agree. And I think, that that, I think sometimes some of that, though, helps when you're near a city. Because I know, like, being near Philadelphia, there's a lot of that stuff that goes on as well. But as I start to creep back down between where Corey and I live and where Chrissy is, that whole stretch of Maryland where it's, like, middle of nowhere... They're not going to have that. So unless they're willing to drive to Baltimore, DC, or Philly, you know, the high school age, even college age people may not still have that access. But I think an organization like Infocom implementing that would be huge.
3: You know, and I wrote an article. You talk about girls and getting girls into STEM and all. Um, there, there is. It's actually in the UK, I believe. There's a company that has set a program, and they've chosen mentors. They've actually chosen women. Who are very visible in different walks of business uh, for these girls, and you know, you're probably talking high schoolers and maybe even middle schoolers and all, to focus on them and what they've done and their achievements. So, even in that, even if let's say you chose certain people uh, and said, okay, look at their achievements, focus on them, you know, first, and then look on beyond that. Uh, you know, there's another, uh, you know, there are other potential avenues just like this energy company has done. And of course, you have your lunk heads who are going to be like, oh, well, why are you focusing just on girls? Uh, and they're actually not. But, you know, they certainly have to put some uh, great focus to it, to the discussion we're having now.
4: Yeah. I agree. I don't think that a, a lot of um, growing up I was fortunate my dad would work on vehicles and I'll tell you I was bored out of my mind when he was when he was working on vehicles but it was more about spending time with my dad um, and so I think that That when I look back at something like that, if I wasn't trying to spend time with my dad, I never would have been around that because it wasn't necessarily something where my dad back in the 90s didn't go, come on, let's go work on this truck, right? I had an older brother and my dad would say, come on, let's go work on this truck, but not me. Um,
0: I'll say it was the reverse for me, Chrissy. I'm the oldest. So I was ah. like daddy's little girl tagging around. So when it was time to do something with the car, like, so I learned how to, you know, change a tire, do oil, jump my car. Like I was shocked as a young adult out and about in the world and people like would drain their battery in their car and they didn't know how to jump their car. I'm like, are you kidding me? Let me go get my uh, cables here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My dad also taught us all of that. I, I just don't want to is really the issue.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to teach it either, but, um, you know, I don't, but we have to, I think that's, I think that's what we're trying to say here is even though maybe we don't necessarily want to, I think we have to so that we provide those role models for these girls.
3: I think if it's not about technology and cats, Jane's not interested, right Jane?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Narrow
2: focus.
3: (laughs)
4: For the record, I love watching what not to wear. I have a real girly side of me. I like to watch it, but I don't wear makeup and stuff. But, um, you know, when I'm sitting at home and, and it's lunchtime, I love watching, you know, those girly shows, but it doesn't mean that I want to do it. What's that? Like, like the British version or the U.S. version? Oh, I didn't know there was a British version. Oh, uh, I like the wear. British version. So the British version, no offense, involves Crest White strips, I think. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, Johnny and I are leaving the podcast now, so uh, enjoy yourselves, ladies.
1: <laughs> you know, we're just celebrating women in technology today. But Yeah, we- I think
4: you can be girly and be celebrated in technology, and that's the message.
1: <laughs> there it is. Um, another question on, on drones, though, because I, I did want to ask you about what makes me nervous about drones is that anyone with a credit card can go out and buy one. personal users of drones, not the commercial users of drones. So what are your thoughts on that? And are they, I I would assume that they are forced to comply to the same rules and regulations that they probably have no idea about.
0: Oh, and wait, and before you answer, Chrissy, if you know of a place for people that are listening to this show that are um, like going out, like, like right now, when I get off here, I'm going to go buy 10 drones. Is there a place (laughs) like, is there a website that I can go to that can tell me some of the regulations that I know that I can follow?
4: So I always am going to tell you the first place to go to is FAA.gov forward slash UAS. The reason is because um, I have even seen FAA personnel on blogs giving out wrong information and it drives me crazy to no avail, right? So, and if you go to to the FAA.gov website, you're going to get the legal rules you're not going to get it secondhand you're not going to get some interpretation you're not going to get somebody trying to sell you something so that's the first place and the other thing i want to tell people is stop looking at the blogs stop going to sar drones and start stop listening to what everybody's saying and talking about the perker case and just stop stop going to those blogs. it's one of the reasons that we started our company was because i was so tired of looking at these blogs and it being wrong even from FAA personnel and it drives me crazy. So go to FAA.gov forward slash UAS and start looking around, start, start looking around and clicking on some of those links and the information is right there at your fingertips. That's the free, now the, the part that's not free is the, uh, some of those regulations are confusing. And some of the regulations, for instance, there's an advisory circular out there and the big key to that, and it's for modelers, and the big thing about the advisory circular, it's ninety-one fifty-seven A. It has been updated. The old one, 9157, was from nineteen eighty-one. They just recently updated it like uh, a month ago, so it's ninety-one fifty-seven A. But it's advisory in nature. And the key to the word advisory is it's like meh. Maybe you should follow it. Maybe you shouldn't. Right? However, when you dig deeper, there was um, there was a, a law or a regulation or something that said you you must abide by this advisory circular. And that got confusing, but it said you must abide by 9157. Well, now that 9157A is out, do you still have to abide by it? Because the, the, the rule said you have to abide by 9157, not 9157A. 9, um, it does scare me that just anybody with a credit card can go out and buy a drone. Uh, and it scares me because um, I think that um, our government has failed in the sense that any imported unmanned aircraft should have had verbiage in there, right? Some kind of pamphlet or something that said, by the way, these are the rules, these are the regulations, and by law, you have to go and register this aircraft. And I don't mean an N-number registration. I mean just register it of some, some sort. You know, like you do your bike, you register your bike so if it gets stolen that the police can come in, you know, and get it back for you. Unfortunately, this has a little bit more repercussions. Um, so, so that does suck. It does suck that just somebody can go out, buy a drone and fly it in their backyard. Hey, regulations.
3: It is very interesting because in the local mall, there is a kiosk and they sell DJIs. Yes. Okay. Okay. And I got to tell you, I have to walk up to him uh, when <laughs> I go there next time and say, I'd like to buy a drone. Can you tell me if there are any rules or regulations to flying this? And I'd like to find out what his answer might be.
0: I'm pretty I'm sure the know. 15-year-old work in the kiosk <laughs> is not going to
3: work. He's going to have it all right up here in his head. He's going to be on point. No, he looked about 23. It's okay. you know. Uh, he's yeah. of age. Um, but I, I, I'd, I'd be gonna... curious.
4: Yeah, he'll probably know more about proactive than the rules on regulations on those
3: roads. <laughs> I'll ask about that too, um, but no, I think that's very interesting. Is that you're right, Jane? Like you can walk up to one of these kiosks, put out your credit card, say I want that one, and now you're home. And man, let's see what this thing can do. And boom, let's up see in right the air.
1: What my neighbors are doing.
3: Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, and then you have privacy issues on top of that as well. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think that's what I it's the privacy issue that I, I think is is problematic. And I don't know if there are any restrictions around that.
4: There are it. So the, the thing about that is the FAA has hands off. They said we're we're not in charge of privacy right we're right. we're keeping you know our our responsibility is a safe and efficient national airspace. The, the privacy thing, we, we, don't, we don't have anything to do with that. So that's a, that's a White House thing, and they do. They have what's called the NTIA, and that's who is working on the privacy issues. But, you know, we do have peeping Tom laws, but ironically, this I love this. People are okay with Google. Right, driving around with their Google cars, taking a picture of you. Right, if you go to my, go to Street View for my house, it's a picture of my husband in his pajamas taking out the garbage, and we're okay with that. Right, nobody nobody says anything. But if you took that picture with a drone, everybody's up in arms, and and I haven't quite figured out the difference. And some people said, oh, because drones are quieter. I don't know. Those Priuses are pretty quiet compared to a DJI Phantom. So I I just don't I can't. And it's public perception. It's, it's public perception. But there are peeping Tom laws, and that's what people are getting you on.
3: Talking about noise, what was that drone you guys were flying at the Book of uh, A.V. tour? That, remember you were flying that drone ins- just inside when nobody was there anymore at the end of the day? Was that a DJI?
4: Uh, it might have been. I I'm do trying know. to
3: remember. I thought it was a little noisy, but uh, you know, and then you guys were talking about ones that are much quieter, uh and all of that. So
4: Yeah, I think that I was think a DJI. So I'm a unique Y-U-N-E-E-C mm-hmm.
3: um. we were talking about uniques, yep.
4: Yeah. And I'm a dealer so one of my other job companies, um, so I, I'm a dealer of their of their line. But
3: mm-hmm.
4: you know, everybody has it depends what you want. It just it de- it depends. There are over two thousand unmanned aircraft uh types out there so sky's the limit once you figure out what you want
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. i do
4: have to carry out this with one thing it's not about the aircraft for anybody who wants to who, anybody who's listening to this podcast and wants to get into this commercially it's not don't pick your aircraft pick your sensor and your payload and then figure out which aircraft can carry it or which aircraft um will meet your the requirements for you to carry that sensor and that payload you, you, it's all about the sensor and the payload, which is mm-hmm. where AV junkies come in.
3: Yeah. So now if you read my last conversion tech week that I just posted uh, on Friday, uh, you can see how you can hack into a Wi-Fi network <laughs> with a drone and a smartphone attached. So uh, more, uh, more new uh, ideas for drone usage. And um, yeah, it just goes on and on. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah. Awesome.
1: All right. I think that kind of wraps up our our drone discussion, unless uh, Johnny have any final thoughts. I'm gonna give you final thoughts.
3: Final thoughts on drones.
1: Or any final questions?
3: Oh. Actually, I actually had one more point, but go ahead, Johnny. No, go ahead. Okay, we'll leave your final thought. But no, actually, I did want to reference that uh, that major find that just happened recently. And here's an article, and there's Christina Ang looking very serious in military dress, by the way. Um, Uh, We will mention the company, of course, Skypen International, Inc. of Chicago, uh, did some not so good things between 2012 and 2014 in terms of violating FAA regulations, and they were slapped with a $1.9 million fine, which I believe, uh, Christina believes, is necessary. So go ahead and talk a little bit about that, Christina.
4: Yeah, it's about time. It's really all I can say to the FAA. When I first saw that, I called my friends at the FAA and said, I think I'm going to send that off as some flowers, right? You know, at least some chocolate. Um, they were, I have, so the thing about that fine is the FAA was really methodical on how they went after that guy, after those guys. Um, it was hard. All right, so i want to say one thing that's really sad and disturbing as they were manned aviators they had their pilot's licenses and they were helicopter pilots and there were some shots that they couldn't get with the helicopter apparently and so they would use unmanned aircraft instead so i'm really disappointed that these that these men and women i don't know if they're men or women i don't know who they are but these pilot they were helicopter pilots and that is really disappointing like shame on you <laughs> first of all so what the faa did was they went to the companies uh, to the clients, and they asked for the contracts, right? So once the FAA found those contracts, they went then went and cross-referenced them with the helicopter rental company that SkyPan uses to rent the helicopters from. And if they didn't match up with the, with the pictures, they knew that they used an unmanned aircraft. So the reason that it took the FAA so long to finally come down on these guys is I gave the FAA lots of kudos on this one, is because they were methodical and they made sure that they had all of the legal pieces in place before they went and gave them a fine. Now Congress, on Wednesday, also gave kudos to the FAA on this um, on this civil penalty. So the thing about the FAA giving kudos to the FAA, the, I'm sorry, Congress giving kudos to the FAA on the amount of the civil penalty basically means I don't know if the FAA is going to drop the, the, the price of that civil penalty because Congress gave them a big kudos on that. The other thing is, uh, the unmanned aircraft office at the FAA doesn't get funding the same way that manned aviation, um, when, when you fly in a, in a manned aircraft, you pay certain taxes and fees on your fuel and on the, on the airport, and that goes to f- help fund the FAA. Well, unmanned aircraft don't put into that pot of money. So for a long time, I've been telling the FAA, if you go and find these guys, you can help support AFS-80, which is the unmanned aircraft office, and get some funds and maybe get more people in the office.
1: Very good. All right. Now we'll kick it to to Johnny for any last question or anything else he wants to know about drones.
2: It's probably a dumb question and probably answer is probably no, but when you're doing your drone thing, do you listen to any particular music? Uh,
4: No, no.
2: Distracting?
3: Probably.
4: Yeah, you know, uh, the only time I listen to music is when I run, so I don't want to run and think about work at the same time, maybe.
3: That's funny, because if Johnny asked me that question, I'd say, absolutely, and I'll tell you exactly what I'm listening <laughs> to. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Johnny always asks the music question, so, you know, of everybody, so, yeah, good. All right, all right, I'll have the, right,
4: I'll just ring Pandora.
3: Uh there you go, okay.
4: You buy tickets. Right.
3: right. like it. I have your drones, deliver them to you. <laughs> A drone ticket delivery. Here we go, Christina. Another business for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, now we're going to move into our fun final segment of the show, our lightning round, where we're going to ask Chrissy a few questions. We'll kind of rotate through. And I'm going to start because my question is, do you have kids, cats, or dogs?
4: No kids, two dogs, cat, all rescue.
1: Nice. All right. Krista,
0: your question. Uh what is your two favorite movies?
4: Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I usually don't watch movies twice. Goonies is one of the few I've ever watched twice. So I just um, Goonies and Goonies Two.
3: <laughs> I believe those are Krista movies.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely Goonies is. <laughs>
3: Who's your favorite Goonies character? Chunk. Uh, yeah, I knew it. <laughs> Who whose favorite character is not Chunk, right? <laughs> All right.
1: Is that your question, Corey? You have another?
3: No, that's not my question. Right, <laughs> question. Just a follow-up of Christmas.
1: All right. Fire away, Corey.
3: Okay. All right, here we go. So we have Women of Drones, but we don't have Women of Drones AV yet. So I think it's about high time, right, Krista? (laughs) So anyway, um, but anyway, in the AV industry, uh, Christina, drones becoming a big deal right now. Uh, You certainly are, I consider, a part of it. So what would you do in the AV industry at this point to really give visibility more to possibly even women being a part of the drones movement?
4: Oh, that's it. Oh my God. I feel like I'm running for the Republican president here. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, you have really good hair, so you'll win. That's because it's purple. You can't really – for people who aren't watching, I have short purple hair. Which oh, is
3: okay. We've got red and purple hair on the podcast. Yeah. But uh, anyway, Krista is very, very into drones. We all know that. Every, every article she talks about on Tech Exchange is drones except for this one. So uh, you got Krista. Um, how do you get more?
4: I, I mean, I think that uh, I think we talked about it ad nauseum at the very beginning. I think that, that with with STEM happening, I know that, and I love this one. Cards Against Humanity just did a, a female uh, STEM. It's for undergraduates, but it's a full right scholarship against Cards Against Humanity. I mean, so I think we need to have more visibility on the this as being a viable option and a viable job for women. All right, Johnny, quick question.
2: If you could oh, time travel back funny. to the nineties.
4: Thank you. Okay, go good. Something funny. Go ahead.
2: If you could time travel back to the nineties and we could create a popular TV show called Sloth Loves Chunk, would you watch it?
4: I would. And then I got to think of something funny about it, right? So Sloth Loves Chunk. It's like Joni Loves Chachi. But
2: better. <laughs>
4: but better. Yeah.
2: yeah. I think it would With be the candy best sitcom ever.
4: Right. There's and it a could cover be band by
0: Baby Ruth. There's a cover band that goes by that name around here.
2: Sloth okay, but, Loves Chunk. Mm-hmm. But, but serious question. I see that you have a bike on your wall but behind you. Possibly a few bikes. Is that the only bike that you have? And if not, what is your favorite bike?
4: Okay. So, so the bike story. So my husband and I met biking. So bikes have been a really important part to to our to our lives, um, I have I had a Schwinn Mesa GSX when we met each other. It recently crapped the bed, which was heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And I recently bought a Cannondale full suspension bike. We have a small house, and if you go to my uh, Facebook page and scroll through, you'll you'll see where my bike is right now. It's in our bathtub upstairs, in the in in our bathtub. It's the it's the only place we can store it right now. We have seven bikes in our house. Uh, I do not have a big wedding ring because I traded it in for <laughs> two Trek road bikes for me and my husband. <laughs> so that's gonna tell you where we're at. Um, so I am a, I love Trek um, because they're made in the United States. So I kind of I kind of uh, really gravitate towards Trek. And my favorite my favorite bike though was my was my Schwinn Mesa GSX though because it's um, it introduced me to my husband and. Um, It's just a great mountain bike. However, I do have uh, Trek Speed Concepts. My husband and I have matching Trek Speed Concepts.
2: So your Cannondale is gone.
4: So the, the, the Schwinn Mesa GSX... Um, is what's eventually going to be gone. We're going to frame the uh, the gear set to it, and make it into a clock for my anniversary gift because it was it was metal, I guess, and so that's what I asked for uh, for my anniversary gift was to frame that out because we're we're losing that bike. But no, the uh, I think it's a Cannondale. It's maybe not a Cannondale. I think it's a Cannondale um, full suspension bike upstairs. I saw that Corey's on Facebook, so you guys can see what it is. I have it is still clean. I haven't even ridden r- ridden it yet.
3: No, I, I don't know where, where you heard that from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually glad Johnny's question went last because this was the best question. Uh, and, and a picture of this uh, podcast will be up so you can actually see the bike behind Christine um, <laughs> that Johnny is referring to and Johnny covets as well. So, uh, no, that's a, that was a great last question. A great last question, no, great last as a matter of fact. Um, because I think we're going to develop this uh, this TV show after uh, we're finished with the podcast, right?
4: <laughs> okay. oh, I got to pull it, and I'm going to have to I'm going to have to redo my spanks if you guys are going to turn this <laughs> into a TV show.
3: Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this turn this into a TV show. We'll talk.
1: Huh. Um, <laughs> Well, he is the executive producer, so you know. I guess, know.
3: yeah, I am. I guess I can do that, right? <laughs> Call Gary.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's that's going to do it for us. So thank you, Chrissy, so much for, for joining. We really enjoyed the conversation around drones and getting to know you much better. So thank you. And um, Corey, you want to take us out?
3: I sure will. So uh, Chr- Chrissy, as everybody is referring to you as now, um, I guess we're all best friends. Best friends. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again it was a pleasure meeting you at the Stampede uh, Book of AV Tour conference and uh, you know thank you for all this great information on drones I'm sure the AV industry is really going to benefit from us uh, from this and thank you all for joining us and we will join you next time